I didn't know that it would touch such a nerve. And I didn't know he had that well of emotion in him that he was so kind of eager to share. Hello there, and welcome to This Is My Family, a podcast about building a life with the people you love. I'm your host, Tyler Green, and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm raising a baby with my husband in California, and as my family grows, I wanted to learn from other people about how we make our families and how those families make us. In each episode, I talk to someone who can inspire us to think about family in new, bigger, more inclusive ways. In this episode, I am talking to comedian Helen Hong. Helen and I used to run into each other on Thursday nights in the basement of the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago. I worked on the NPR quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and she's a frequent panelist. She also does stand-up and has even been on shows like Jane the Virgin, The New Girl, and Parks and Rec. Lately, Helen has been recording conversations with her father, in putting them on YouTube as a series called Old Korean Dad Stories. They're sometimes sweet and funny and sometimes get into some really serious topics like the anti-Asian racism and even physical violence that her family has experienced. We'll talk about the different approaches she and her parents have when it comes to dealing with these incidents. But before we dig into that, we start our conversation talking about how Helen's relationship with her parents and sister has changed a lot in recent years. I asked her what her life was like when she was a kid, and it was just the four of them. My family was a very typical immigrant family in a lot of ways. My parents are first generation. They moved here from South Korea in the 70s, and they ran a string of small businesses. Yes, they were Korean dry cleaners, (laughs) and no, that is not a punchline. That is an actual fact. Like, sometimes the stereotypes are true. So I grew up, a lot of my after-school time was spent at dry cleaners, you know, either helping out at the store or, like, doing homework. My sister and I both have memories of just reading or doing homework in the back room while business was being conducted in the front of the store. Also, a lot of latchkey kidism, because often we wouldn't go to the store. We would just go home and just be on our own. Mm. I just remember distinctly, like, being responsible for my my little sister at, like, the age of eight or nine. Yes. <laughs> like, I came home, and she was, like, five, and I had to, like, figure out what we were going to eat because we were the only ones at home. I feel like there was a lot of struggle, a lot of immigrant struggle, a lot of just generational struggle. Like my parents were like dropped from 70s Korea into this new country. And I feel like in a lot of ways that stunted their growth Mm. as like progressive people. Because I remember like later on we would go visit Korea as older people and like we were shocked at how kind of socially progressive a lot of the older Koreans there were, but because they were in a country that sort of progressed naturally, where my parents were like, ah, we're Koreans. 
and we're staying Korean in this crazy new country where people are just so different. And so they held on to a lot of things. Also, a lot of Korean Americans are very religious. They end up being religious because they move here and the church is sort of their only social outlet. Mm. And so I feel like a lot of Korean Americans of that generation are much, much more religious than Koreans in Korea. So yeah, a lot of the stereotypes of Korean American parents being like very strict, very religious, very old school. Yeah, I grew up with all of that. So one of the things I like to ask people to kind of get a sense of what it was like to just live as a kid in their universe is finding out what it was like to have a birthday party when you were a kid. What did a birthday party look like for you or your sister? Mm, I actually have a really sweet memory about this. It's a sad fact about my my childhood and my parents is that around when I turned eight is when like life just got really hard. That's when they really started like striking out, like we're going to, we're going to own our own small business and we're going to like start this whole like entrepreneurial thing, like from scratch. Mm -hmm. And that's when just life became hard. But I remember before that age, my dad actually worked in an office. The reason why he came to the States in the first place is he was stationed here as a salary man at an import-export company. So he was a nine-to-fiver. He wore a suit to work. My mom was a housewife when I was young. And so I just remember, like, these really nice early memories before sort of life became really hard and they were working 60 hours a week and, you know, all this Mm -hmm. just life came crashing down, you know. And so when I was young, I think they were really trying to make us have like all the cool things that American kids have. And I just remember at the age of seven, they were like, Helen's going to have a proper birthday party. And my birthday's in the summer. And so school was out. My dad was like, we're going to have a picnic at a park and we're going to invite all your friends, your, all your little classmates. And he went to the office at my school, my elementary school in Queens. And he said, I know school's out, so we don't have access to any of the kids or their parents. Would you mind giving us a list of their phone numbers so we can invite all of Helen's friends to her birthday party in the summer? And the lady at the office was like, no, sorry, it's against policy. It was like, oh, bummer. And we were like turning to leave. And another lady in the office was like, psst, psst, come meet me around the corner. She gave us all these phone. I just distinctly remember like somebody had written down these phone numbers and this one, the mean lady had like crumpled it up and threw it in the trash. And this other lady pulled this piece of paper out of the trash. was like, here, here, take this. And it was so nice. There's always a good person. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, that's so sweet. So my dad called in his broken English, all these American students to, you know, their parents and was like, hey, we're having a birthday picnic for Helen, seventh birthday at this park, this local park, and we're going to provide food and cake and pizza and stuff. And so a bunch of kids came. But a very immigranty memory that I have of that birthday party is, you know, a lot of Korean households, they don't drink water, just water out of the tap. They drink something called poricha. So traditionally, nobody in Korea drank water out of the tap because it was unsafe to do so. And so what you were just traditionally through all of Korean history, you boiled your water. And to make the water taste a little better, they would make this like very light flavored tea with barley. And it would be like an amber colored tea. And it's not like a really strong flavored tea and it's not a dark tea. And so my parents had brought this cooler of this barley tea 
And they were like, hey, kids, do you want to drink some of this barley tea? And all the kids were like, yeah. So we passed around all these little plastic cups. And I just remember all the kids were like, they took one sip and they were like, ew, <laughs> ew, gross, ew. And they just dumped all the barley tea. Like they spat it out and they dumped it out. And I just remember me being like, Ugh, and my parents being like, Ugh. Oh. <laughs> kids are such dicks. <laughs> such dicks. Such dicks, yeah. So I'm curious to hear about the evolution of how your relationship with your parents has has changed since you got older. I just have very sweet memories prior to being eight years old, but I remember exactly at eight is when they started their first small business. And then it was like, forget it after that. Like I had a horrible relationship. <laughs> and I totally understand why. It's because they were struggling to put food on the table mm. and pay rent. And so any like warm, lovey dub, like fuck that, you know, excuse my language, but that was like, priority number 40 on the list. They were just like working 60, 70, 80 hours a week trying to pay rent and, and pay for, you know, food. And so they just were not great parents in, in the way that I think a lot of immigrant parents are that just can't be. I just don't remember them being warm or kind or patient at all. And ironically, I think they know that about themselves, which is why they're being extra nice now. You know, they're retired. They have the wisdom of being in their 70s. And, you know, they often now say, I love you. And, oh, I'm getting emotional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, nowadays they often say, I love you. And they're very warm and they're trying their hardest. And I think a couple of times... In recent years, my dad has tried to say, like, I'm really sorry about those years. Mm. You know, because those were hard years for all of us. Yeah. Helen started making the old Korean dad videos in the pandemic as a way to connect with her parents, who were back in Boston while she and her sister lived in California. Because of the pandemic, we haven't seen them in a year and a half. You know, we talk all the time, but it's still not, you know, exactly the same. And 2020, obviously, everyone knows was a really shit year <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. So at the end of 2020, everybody was like, worst year ever. Oh, my God, can't wait till this year is over. And I want to punch 2020 in the face. And my sister and I were casually just chatting with my dad on the phone. And my dad goes, hey, did you see this Time magazine cover? And we're like, no. And he goes, it's like man of the year, but it's 2020 with a big red X through it. And it says worst year ever. And we're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And my sister goes, well, dad, you're almost 80 and you've lived quite a long time. Do you think that 2020 was the worst year ever for you? And my dad, I swear to God, super low key. goes, Yeah, 2020 was pretty bad. But I'd say when I was in the middle of the Korean War and I was starving and freezing and we were fleeing the war and my baby brother died. Yeah, I'd say that was probably the worst year. And we're like, what? Yeah, absolutely. 2020 was legitimately the worst year ever for a lot of people. And a lot of people are really struggling. But for a lot of us, it was the worst year ever in the fact that we were like, oh, God, I can't go to a restaurant. <laughs> oh, God, sucks. Can't go see a movie. Ugh. 
or like God stuck home all day. Nah. Like it was just very like first world problem whininess. And I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I thought, wow, this is such a great message that I really want to share with the world. This perspective that my dad just snapped me, you know, just snapped with one sentence, you know. So I have a relationship with the now this media company. And so I approached my editor contact there and I said, hey, I had this really cool experience with my dad. Is this something that you guys might be interested in? And they were like, sure, send over what you've got. So I did a Zoom, my dad's very first Zoom ever. (laughs) And so I, I had him sort of retell the story and kind of go in depth about this experience. I legitimately did not know that I had an uncle who died as a baby in the middle of the Korean War. Like I had never heard that story before. And so I was like, this is kind of a great gift that I can share with the world. These gems of wisdom from this incredible person who has experienced so much and also a way to kind of spend time with my parents when I hadn't seen them in a year and a half during the pandemic. So that's the genesis of this YouTube channel that I then, because of the now this video, got the idea to do this YouTube channel, an ongoing YouTube channel with my parents. It's called Old Korean Dad Stories. And sometimes mom. (laughs) And the reason why it's only sometimes mom is mom is camera shy and she doesn't like being in front of the camera, whereas dad does. So the first video is like he tells about just chasing American GIs during the Korean War and just begging for food because they were all starving. And he knew that the U.S. soldiers had food and sometimes they would throw, you know, Hershey's bars or cans from sea rations because these little kids were always chasing them around and they would just throw them things so my dad was like god it was such a godsend mm. yeah hello give me chocolate were the first english words my dad ever learned and he didn't even know what they meant he just knew if he said those words like sometimes they would throw him something mm. whenever we saw gis on the streets we follow them and they shouted hello give me chocolate this was my first english i had ever learned It was a screaming for help. You know, we need anything, not only chocolate, but anything edible. What are maybe some of the more surprising things that you've learned about your dad or your parents by engaging in this kind of way of of learning about their stories? So the first video we dropped is the Hello, Give Me Chocolate video where my dad talks about these sea ration cans, which I didn't know what they were. Now, I guess they're called MREs, Meals Ready to Eat. They're army-issued food. The government issues these packaged meals that they can eat in the field. Back then, they were called sea rations. And they were boxed meals, and sometimes they would have cans of, like, crackers with jelly and canned chocolate chip cookies and things like that. Miraculously, I found Korean War-era sea ration cans, kind of the exact cans that my dad would have opened as a little boy, on eBay. Mm. And I'm like, what? And so I bought them, and I sent right. them to my dad as a surprise. And we did a surprise unboxing, and that was our second video that dropped on the channel. And I did not know that my dad would get so emotional. My dad was crying. I was crying. My mom, who's like the backup cameraman in the video on her (laughs) iPhone, she's crying. Like, I show the raw footage to my sister. My sister's bawling. Like, everybody's bawling. And, like, I'm not a big crier. My dad, I've maybe seen my dad cry maybe 
maybe twice in my life. I didn't know that it would touch such a nerve. And I didn't know he had that well of emotion in him that he was so kind of eager to share. I didn't realize that he would be so open about like openly crying and just voice quavering being like, I was so hungry. I was so hungry. I just remember like when I opened these, I was so hungry. I think that's something that was really eye-opening to me. It's just an incredible video to watch because you see him open it and touch it and you feel this like rewind into time and you see him go. Yeah. And even the fact that he knew what it was the second it came out of the package. You're right. Like it just transported him instantaneously. Oh, I remember what I did this 60 some years ago. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so hungry. She I throw it to me and I open it. It's too delicious at the time. Oh my God. Now I'm looking at this. This one is really Nula. I'm, I'm crying. Ah, exactly. It make me return to Korean War. Little boy who is so hungry and follow GIs. Hello, give me chocolate. And they threw it to me. Oh my God. A rise in violent anti-Asian hate has been especially scary lately. But even within her own family, there's disagreement about how to handle that racism. In another of the videos, Helen talks to her dad about a situation he faced in a supermarket where an employee violently rammed him with a cart. Yeah, so we have been dealing of late with these horrible, random, anti-Asian, racist attacks. A lot of older people, a lot of women are actually the most targeted for attacks, which makes sense because these are very cowardly people. The perpetrators are obviously not looking to fight someone on an even playing field. But my dad was a victim of one of these attacks in a stop and shop in Boston. And so my dad's in the stop and shop parking lot and he was putting a cart back in the cart corral and a worker, an employee of the supermarket shoved with full force a shopping cart at him with the intention of hitting him and like injured his foot. Like he went home and he had, his toe was black and he was yelling things. You know, my dad's English is not perfect. And so he said, it wasn't really clear what exactly he was saying. Like I couldn't really understand everything, but it definitely was like something nasty. And my dad chose not to report it. And, you know, I kind of like was mad at my dad for not reporting it. And I was like, why didn't you say something? Like, this guy's obviously, like, a racist asshole. Like, he should not be working there. My dad kept saying, like, I was so lucky because I only got away with this one small injury. Mm. And I'm like, are you insane? Mm. He's like, I'm so lucky that it didn't hit my hip or my leg because I then I really would have been injured. But I was so fortunate that it only blackened my toe. And I'm like, Dad, mm. you sound crazy. That is not. <laughs> Like, you were assaulted. Yeah. I, it goes to show, actually, how much empathy my dad has as a person. And my dad was like, 
well, I didn't want the guy to get fired. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. Like, then he would lose his job. Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what a Christian, in the best sense of the word, you know, outlook. Mm. I don't know what to say about it. I don't think there was a right course of action. I mean, what is the right course of action in that situation? Like, my dad took a very, like, turn-the-other-cheek approach and... I actually think it's more common with that generation of Asian immigrant where culturally they're taught, you know, they're ingrained to be humble and quiet and just take the thing on the chin. And I'm a foreigner to this country. This is their country. You know, there's a lot of that attitude. Mm. Whereas my generation is like, no, this is bullshit. Like, we're not going to be treated this way anymore. We're not going to be quiet. We're not going to be made to feel like an other. We're not going to be made to feel like we don't belong. We were born and raised here. God damn it. We're Americans. And this is like unfucking acceptable. And so there's a lot of kind of intergenerational clash and like at one point you immigrated clash. I know that it is my responsibility to be an ally in this moment. But I'm not always sure what the right thing to do is, especially given that the Bay Area, where we live, has some of the highest rates of anti-Asian violence in the entire United States. The other day, I bought pepper spray for my husband, who's Chinese. He likes to run outside, and we both agreed that it was the smart move. We've also been eagerly awaiting a time where the pandemic has subsided enough that his mom, my mother-in-law, can come visit us. She lives in China now. But... Then I find myself worrying whether she'll be safe here and if pepper spray is enough to protect my family. I asked Helen if she struggles with that feeling of being protective of her parents, too. Yeah, that's been the hardest thing, like just trying to think of how to protect them when they're frail. Like my parents have a combined weight of 240 pounds. Mm. My mom literally weighs 100 pounds. Not exaggerating. Mm. My mom is a breast cancer survivor. Mm. And so it just is so heartbreaking and infuriating. And when you have to think of things like, do I send mom a mace? And am I going to be able to teach mom how to use a mace over FaceTime? Do I have to teach mom self-defense moves? And is that even going to work? She weighs 100 pounds. So even if she knew self-defense moves, like would it even work if a 100-pound person is up against a 200-pound person? Mm. I sort of haven't been doing any of that stuff. And I've really been in my activism work trying to get other people to get activated because my parents can't defend themselves. It's got to be up to the community. It's got to be up to bystanders. And that's why, like, I posted something on my social media and I said, please share widely. I spoke to someone at Asian American Advancing Justice, which is a leading advocacy organization. I was like, give me steps that I can tell non-Asian people in public that they can do if they even think that they're witnessing an attack. Try to invite the victim away from the space. Like, hey, Mary, it's so good to see you. Come sit by me or engage the victim and not the attack. Like all this stuff. Like, I go down these very specific steps because my parents can't do anything. Yeah. And hopefully the public consciousness is changing 
to a degree where somebody walks through a Chinese grocery store and, you know, maybe they don't have a Chinese mother-in-law, but they feel that sense of protectiveness. Or not a Chinese grocery any, store, any just store. Anywhere, <laughs> anywhere, like a, sub, a subway yeah, exactly. station or a street. Anywhere. In a minute, we'll dig deeper into Helen's family story and hear about the incredibly unique relationship she has with her sister. If you're enjoying this conversation, please subscribe or follow wherever you're listening. Lots of us have ended up in living situations we didn't expect during the pandemic. Maybe moving in with parents or parents moving in with us. Or just spending a lot more time with our family inside the same four walls. Helen and her sister moved in together during the pandemic. Her sister had been living in the Bay Area working in tech. Helen had been living in L.A. And they decided to hunker down together and buy a house. It was kind of the first time we could afford to buy a house. Mm -hmm. So we bought a house in L.A. And shortly after we moved in together, she was like, I'm pregnant. And my sister is single. She's what they call a single mother by choice. She was like, you know what? I don't want to wait anymore. And so to put it elegantly, she turkey basted herself with catalog bought sperm. (laughs) (laughs) And so we joke in her house that she's a single mother by choice and I'm a single mother by no choice (laughs) because (laughs) I live here. (laughs) I live here in this house with this with this lady who's about to have a baby and like obviously I'm not going to be like well you're on you're on with this kid <laughs> my sister and I are very very close she's my best friend in the whole universe mm-hmm. and I know how hard it is to have a child by yourself I mean it's just so daunting and so obviously I'm not going to be not helping and because I live here I guess I'm going to be helping 24/7 what is the house set up. We have a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house. My sister keeps kicking herself like, why didn't we buy a three-bedroom? Like, uh, because we couldn't afford it. (laughs) (laughs) Easy answer. I don't think that either one of us was thinking like, we're going to live in this house. My sister's going to get pregnant right away. But here we are, and she's pregnant, and she's going to have a baby any day now. By the way, you know that there is a sitcom in the works already. Yeah. Like, I'm already, like, furiously taking notes. I'm, like, halfway through writing the pilot episode. Yeah. Because there's so many things. Like, it's unusual. Like, between my sister and I, who are, you know, socially very progressive people and, like, know a lot of different types of people, like, between she and I, like, we only know one person who has done this, is a single mother by choice. But then add the sister element of, like, two sisters having a baby. By the way, we are so confusing to our neighbors because, you know, they see us walking our dog and they're like, are they a couple? They love each other. That's clear. (laughs) Yeah, there's no man around. They just have this... I know with my husband and I, with surrogacy, like there is like a digital, there's like a website, you can pick the surrogate and that kind of thing. But there's like an interview process and there's a whole thing. So is it like a literal catalog? It is like online dating, but for sperm. That makes sense. (laughs) 
So you're kind of swiping through all these profiles and you don't even get to see a picture of the donor for privacy issues. You don't get to see a current photo. So the only photo that you're allowed to see are like baby mm. pictures or or little kid photos of the donor when they were mm. a child, which might give you clues to what your child might look like. And so you're swiping like a Tinder profile, but with little kids' pictures, <laughs> which is already weird. And then obviously you get all the stats. You get their height and education level. And it's kind of a weird guessing game. It's amazing. Yeah, we're having a boy and he's healthy and very active and doing somersaults in there. And we're so not ready. Our tiny little house is a mess. Like we don't know, like there's just baby stuff piled everywhere. We don't exactly know where everything should go. Mm -hmm. And but every parent says that they're you're never prepared. I was going to say been there. So now we got to talk about the turkey baster only because I actually just want to understand how your parents reacted to that. Oh, that's going to be in my forthcoming sitcom. The very first scene is going to be me and my sister trying to figure out how to say turkey baster in Korean. (laughs) (laughs) Because let me tell you, that is not a thing in Korean culture. I mean, thankfully, it just happens to be that there is a Korean celebrity that very recently did this and did it very publicly because she shared so widely that my parents had actually the template to wrap their brain around, which thank Mm. God. One of my best friends is a lesbian and she and her wife had a baby Mm. a Mm. few years ago. She's such a good friend that my mom knows this friend, like she's met her, this friend of mine. And I said to her, I was like, Natalia's having a baby. And she's like, wait, isn't Natalia a lesbian? And I'm like, yep. And she's like, what? <laughs> and so I kind of brought up the turkey baster thing then, which is a few years ago. <laughs> My mom was like, what? So it's not the first time that she's had to wrap her brain around the concept (laughs) of like a turkey baster. I obviously didn't go into graphic detail or anything, but I said, oh, you know, mom, they had to find someone who gave a donation. You know what I mean? A quote unquote male donation. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, they get it up there somehow and she's like oh oh my oh my oh my oh my my." and i'm like and a baby happened so (laughs) so i mean thankfully because i had to explain how my lesbian best friend had a baby and then also this thank god this celebrity in korea had had done this exact same thing when my sister told them that she was pregnant and this is how she got pregnant they did the scariest thing that you can ever here from a Korean parent, which is complete silence. They were like, okay, we got to go click. And we didn't hear from them for a couple of days. And my sister was like terrified because she was like, is this the end of my relationship with mom and dad? And it wasn't. They just needed two days to process. Hmm. Now they're super cool. They call him happy. How's happy doing? And I bought something for happy. And Hmm. we got to teach happy this, that, and the other thing. It'll be the first grandchild. I mean, they knew early on that I was never going to have a kid. So... (laughs) (laughs) This is their only shot. 
Are they going to stay there where they are? or They don't like California. Uh. And they've been living in the Boston area for so long. Yeah. Their whole life is there. Their friends are there. Their church is there. I mean, they're definitely coming out here for a couple of months when the baby comes. I want to dig in a little bit to the relationship you have with your sister a little bit more. You know, you said that she's your best friend. Has that always been the case? And what does that really look like on a day-to-day basis? My sister is just so sweet. She's younger than me. And... You know, when you have a younger sibling and all they want to do is hang out with you because they think you're the coolest person on earth. Mm. And I was always like, get out of my room. And she was like, no, I wouldn't. please let me stay in here. I want to be with you. We're opposites in a lot of ways, personality wise. I think that actually helps. We really, really love each other and we know each other so well. We took a baby class where it was like all hetero couples and us. And all the couples were like arms around each other, draped over each other and like rubbing each other's shoulder and stuff. So they were like physically, you know, that mm-hmm. they had that physical intimacy. Yep. We don't have the physical intimacy, but we had, I would argue, we probably knew each other just as well, if not better than all these hetero married couples. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that's so interesting to me and so beautiful, actually. It's like. I think in intimate human relationships that are, you know, romantic in nature, we spend so much time fucking it up to try to figure out what the hell to say and do. And you have this lifetime of really, especially when you were younger, you were like connected totally. right? in this really deep way. I mean, for the longest time, it really was just the two of yeah. us. We also have a lot of admiration and appreciation for each other. I think that's really important. She's an absolutely impressive admirable woman, a strong woman. I look up to her in so many ways and vice versa. We have our shit together in a lot of ways and in in very different ways, Mm -hmm. but we recognize and respect that in each other. So you said the baby's about to come and just curious, like where you're at with that right now. I mean, you alluded to baby toys being everywhere and you took a class and I think, you know, I can relate to that moment you know, and feeling like what is about to happen? What are you most excited about? And then what are you most worried about having an infant in your life? Oh, my God. We're both big sleepers. Mm. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, we're screwed. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I decided early on that I never wanted to have kids. And I wasn't really even particularly a fan of kids for the longest. And so for me, I'm just playing catch up on like, ah, I need to figure out how how babies work. Every advice we've gotten from parents is like, don't sweat it. It'll it'll work itself out. I used to hate when people said that to me. I would be like, that does not help me, actually. But thank you. But it's the only thing to say in a moment like this to you is like, and you clearly have the wisdom where you're like, yeah, I believe the advice because it keeps coming. It's just going to be such a big lifestyle adjustment. I love my sister very much. And that's so I will love this baby very much. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to be sure that we cover before we leave each other? I guess I, I want to say, like, I hope that my YouTube channel with my dad inspires other people out there to try doing something like this. Because it really has brought my parents and I together in a way that I don't think has ever happened before in the sense that I have to see my parents as people. You know, I sort of have to disconnect from them as a petulant child in a lot of ways to be like, oh, I'm interviewing 
a really interesting human. And I'm getting a really cool story. And that has been really a big shift and a a really eye-opening for me. And I encourage anyone out there, like, do a YouTube channel or do StoryCorps. My sister said the sweetest thing the other day. She said, I love that my son will always know his grandparents because of this YouTube channel. It will always be there. (gasps) And I'm sorry, I didn't even think of that. I love it. I love it. I have so appreciated spending this time with you. Same. We used to see each other randomly every now and again in the basement of Chase Tower in Chicago as you were coming in to do Wait Wait. (laughs) And you were always so kind to me and everyone, really. You just, like, made a point to be present and make people feel seen and included. And I always really appreciated you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. And I can't wait for the sitcom. We will be watching it. It's going to be called Super Duper Extra Modern Family. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, Helen Hong, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Helen's humor and grace and heart really inspire me because sometimes I feel really fucking angry and confused and scared. During the pandemic, I was already worried about my husband whenever he leaves the house. There's a deadly virus and this bubbling, brewing racism just lurking. Now it's rising to the surface and we're left to figure out how not only to go through our day-to-day but also how to protect and take care of the people in our family, in our community, in our world. I'm definitely going to check out the resources Helen mentioned for being a better ally. She recommends Asian Americans Advancing Justice. They have a bunch of ways to help, including incredibly practical bystander training for allies. It looks like there's at least one free training via Zoom a week. If you leave this conversation with a feeling in your gut or your throat that says, I want to help, what can I do? This is the place to start. We've included a link in the show notes. I also want to heed the other piece of homework Helen suggested. Her video interviews with her parents have helped her to get to know them in a whole new light. I think she's right that we could all benefit from taking the time to have these conversations with the elders in our life. And for me, it kind of connects to some advice I got from a guest in season one, the performance poet, Jay Ivey. Write a letter to your father, he says, or some caretaker in your life. And whether or not you give them the letter, write it. My son turned two this last weekend, and the lens around all of this hate and violence zoomed in, focused, clarified, even just a little bit more. That kind of thing happens daily now. The world for me just gets smaller, more intentional. It occurs to me that taking time to reflect on the people who raised us and talk to them so we can better understand them as complete people, that feels urgent. So I'm going to start interviewing my dad and maybe I'll even be able to interview my mother-in-law when she finally safely arrives. Thanks to Helen Hong for joining us. Check out Helen's YouTube channel, Old Korean Dad Stories. Just type it into Google or YouTube and it'll come up. We'll also include a link in the show notes. 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TIMF Show. Our website is TIMFshow.com. This podcast is a production of TheStoryProducer.com, and it's made by me, Katie Clarkson, Trisha Bobita, Jackie Ball, and B. Bosco. It is edited and mixed by Adam Yaffe, and our music is by Andrew Edwards. Social Current takes care of our social media and show administration. You can find them at Social Current. That's Social Current, spelled C-U-R-R-A-N-T. And last but certainly not least, our art director is my handsome husband, Ziwoo Cho. If you connected to this show, please let a friend know it's out there. Discoverability in podcasting is really a mean beast, and we really do need your help to elevate stories like Helen's. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tyler Green, and until next time, Stay beautiful and messy. Is the podcast all done, Sam?